sweat the technique. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All right, here's the age-old debate. I, I love, honestly, I love this conversation because I don't really know if there's a wrong answer. Like, I certainly feel that I'm right when it comes to it, and I have a strong stance about it. Fromber Valdez, uh, in Saturday's game, he enters the seventh inning, 89 pitches. The Astros are up by six runs. Jose Abreu's home run in the top of the seventh came late in that inning. There was two outs late in that inning. So you're looking at a spot where there's not a whole lot of time to warm up somebody else. How did you feel with Dusty Baker using Fromber Valdez in that bottom of the seventh? I mean, I wasn't I wasn't giddy about it. I, I, I mean, at the same time, you've gotten about all you could get out of him. I mean, you're, you mentioned, we talked about the strikeouts and everything else. But then, you know, you can go back to the ankle, all right? He's still not 100%. And with all the things with a big lead, you're not trying to milk your starter for more innings, right? I mean, I, I just, Dusty's going to Dusty. I, I think I've given up hope on a lot of his decision-making. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't understand it. I hated the decision, and I took it to Twitter at Jeremy Branham. And there's a lot of people that disagree that they felt like Fromber Valdez should have had the want sucking up innings. That's my thing. Like I understand that Fromber Valdez, and we've seen a lot of straw man arguments coming from this. Like I saw a straw man argument saying, "Oh, no one trusted Fromber Valdez in the seventh. No one said anything about trust. We trust Fromber Valdez more than anybody on this staff. It has nothing to do with trust." And look, I'll even concede the fact that it was too quick and it hurried up so much that maybe you can't have a reliever come in to start the seventh inning. In my opinion, the moment that Jose Abreu's home run cleared the wall, Dusty Baker needs to be on the phone yep. and get Ryan Stanek warming up, whoever, whatever reliever that you want to use in that spot. Even it, there, you can use a Montero if you've got, depending on the pad you got. It's a six-run game. Yeah, it's a six-run game. That's a Montero moment. And That's the, when you throw him in there in, in a in a meaningless opportunity to try and get his stuff back. But at least he's got a, a plus fastball uh-huh. and he can buy some time for you. I get it that maybe for. You know, take your warm-up pitches a little slower, make a visit to the mound, buy some time. But with the situation you're in with Javier, with the uncertainty with all the pitchers at the back end of your rotation, with everything that you got going on right now as it relates to pitching, the last thing you can afford is Fromber coming off injury, dealing with something because he went too deep in a game that was meaningless to him. I th- That totally should be on the table. I don't want Fromber Valdez with 89 pitches, pitching in a with a six-run lead, in the seventh inning. And the arguments again, and also, also, let's keep this in mind here. The Astros scored five runs in the top of the seventh. There was a pitching change in the top of the seventh. I went back and looked at the amount of time between Fromber's last pitch in the sixth and his first pitch in the seventh. 20 minutes. Ooh. 20 minutes Late on 89 pitches yeah. is something that I don't want to see because you need to protect Fromber Valdez. Here are a couple of things. Why did Fromber Valdez not pitch in the WBC? Because the team asked him not to pitch in the WBC because he's been worked a lot. Why did Fromber Valdez get told by the owner, Jim Crane, and the general manager, Dana Brown, to not start the All-Star game because of usage? In fact, Dana Brown had a quote on this about Fromber Valdez. The worst thing you can do is have him go out there and something happens and you're second-guessing yourself. Now we don't have him long-term here or he gets sidetracked. 
You get hurt in a six-run game in the seventh, 89 pitches after 20, after 20 minutes. Oh, you're getting blown up. And he did get hurt. His workload, Dana Brown says, has been really heavy the last few years. Give him a breather, like a six-run game in the seventh. Let him catch his breath and let him get back out there in the second half and show everybody what he's doing. This is where you protect your aces. Six-run leads late in the game. And the argument is, well, the Astros' bullpen has been taxed. The Astros' bullpen has been overused. Which you're right. The Astros' yeah. bullpen has been overused. I understand that the day before they went to their leverage guys. I don't want Presley there. No. I don't want to break you. I'm not asking for high leverage. You know who I want there? I want Ryan Stanek. Seth Martinez. I want, Seth Martinez went two innings the day before, so it's tough to okay. go there. But Ryan Stanek, who had not pitched in eight days, by the way, because of the all-star break. Rafael Montero, who hadn't pitched since July 9th, and Phil Maton, who threw three pitches Friday. Give me those three guys to get nine outs when you're up by six runs. If I can't count on those three guys to give me nine outs when I'm up by six runs, then we have some major issues. You have to protect Fromber Valdez. If Fromber Valdez gets hurt, your season is over. When do you protect Fromber? With a six-run lead late in the game after waiting 20 minutes, 89 pitches. And, oh, yeah, by the way, to your point, Blankers, this is only his second start since he had to be skipped a turn in the rotation because of an ankle injury. Fromber Valdez, and look, again, I'll concede that the home run happened too fast, that the lead got doubled up too quickly. There wasn't someone warming up quickly. Okay, have Fromber start the seventh inning then, but when he walks the leadoff man, you're buying time, you're getting him out of the game. Fromber should not have been there for the home run. He should not have been facing Shohei Otani after the home run, which led to his exit from the game because of an injury. That was terrible usage from Dusty Baker. Right, There's and especially a manager that's been in the league as long as Dusty has. You slow play it, right? We know there's ways. There's trips to the mound. There's, you know, utilizing every every tool in your arsenal to make sure that whether it's, you know, a, you get a visit from the mound from the dugout and then Maldi's talking to him and you're buying some more time. And, and it's, you're right. It's one thing to say, look, there was no one warmed up. He, he had to at least go out there to start the inning. After the walk, now it's completely inexcusable because now you've bought an at least an at-bat with at least four pitches in it to where you're, you have even more time to get someone up that has a little bit more left in their arm and a lot less, it's a lot more, you, you lose a lot less if they something happens to them as opposed to your ace who you have to lean on and you've leaned on him all year long. And I tweeted this before the inning. By, by the record. So a lot of people, hindsight, twin. no, I actually tweeted before the inning, I do not like using Fromber Valdez in this spot. 89 pitches, which I understand Fromber goes 100 all the yeah. time. He's capable of going 100. Certainly, he has been your workhorse, your well, bulldog. But 89 pitches after a 20-minute half inning, up by six up runs, six two percent. starts away from an injury, and literally his first start post-All-Star break where his owner and general manager are worried about his pitch load. What are we doing here? Up six doing? is the biggest thing to me. Like and, up six, yeah. if it's eighty nine pitches and you're in a in a dog fight and and he's dealing, then you might you have a tendency to say go. You know he's probably not going to want to come out either. And you're like, okay, go get him. But again, even in a dog fight, you walk the leadoff guy. That's it. That's it. Right you're there. Done. Right there. End of story. Because Todd's point, there was nobody warmed up. Okay, I'll concede you that because it was a three run game. Jose Abreu hit a three run homer with two outs. It's too quick to get a pitcher up there. I completely understand. That is a great point. 
But the moment Abreu's home run clears the wall, somebody's warming up in the bullpen. You have the half inning for the pitcher to get warmed up. You have Framber Valdez that walks a hitter. That's going to take a decent amount of time. You have Maldonado go out to talk to Framber Valdez. He slowly walks back to the plate, and here comes Dusty Baker. There is no reason Framber Valdez should have faced two hitters in the bottom of the seventh. They blew the game, by the way, because all of these pitchers, these high-leverage pitchers that you don't want to use, guess what? You used them anyways, and Framber left the game with an injury you should like one hitter one hitter is who he should have gotten that's it you, the, the moment you allow a runner to reach you're pulled out of the game um geo says complaint about the ace and wonder why the bullpen is depleted you just left the all-star break i understand that the bullpen has been overused you you don't love the fact that maton's throwing as many games as he has abreu presley, presley. but this is a low leverage Naris. game we're going to protect ryan stanick rafael montero and phil maton over fromber valdez am i living in, in a crazy world right now why are you protecting ryan stanick rafael montero and phil maton over fromber Valdez, the betting favorite to win the American League Cy Young. Fromber is the pitching equivalent to what Jordan means to this team offensively. If you have him, you're in it with a chance to win it. If you don't, you are screwed. And so, again, I go back to the fact that this isn't just about Fromber. This is the state of the rest of your staff. This is, you know, all the question marks about how Hunter Brown finished the first half. All the question marks about where Javier is and can he get back to where he was and what's going on with him. And then who, if any, are coming back to help you or are you going to have to rely on, you know, Blanco and and Belak and and those not-so-killer bees and and have to make a move or two at the deadline. So it's magnified times 10 how important Fromber is to this team. Just like we say, no Jordan if he's out for the rest of the year or something happens to him, no World Series because he's just that important. Romber is that equivalent yeah. on the off- I mean on the pitching side. And the problem too is it does not it's not consistent with how they've handled Fromber this year. Let me let me explain. Again, WBC. Fromber, we ask that you don't pitch in the WBC because we don't we're worried about your workload. Okay, he doesn't pitch in the WBC. Fromber goes out of his way to say it would mean a lot for him to start the All-Star game and Jim Crane and Dana Brown say, "Well, Fromber worried about your workload. Can you can you not can you do us a solid?" Which by the way, they've not signed Fromber Valdez to a contract extension after trying. So you have Fromber who has not locked up a deal with the Houston Astros that is selflessly saying, "Okay, I won't pitch in the WBC. I won't pitch for country because I care about the club." You have Fromber that flat out says it would mean a lot to me to start the All-Star game. And and because Crane and because Brown asked him not to, he says, okay. But then his manager, Dusty Baker, uses him at 89 pitches after 20 minutes sitting on the bench in a six-run game in the seventh? That's not consistent with the organization philosophy on Fromber Valdez. Because who well, who made that decision? It was Dusty. Dusty. And he didn't make the other one. Which, by the way... Because Dusty Baker is the guy that said when you're a pitcher like Garrett Cole and you want to pitch the All-Star game and start the All-Star game on a short rest, you get what you want. Yeah. And remember, Fromber was saying, my goal all year was to pit, be the starting pitcher in the All-Star game. And like So, like, Garrett Cole, I know he's not on your team, he can say, I want to start, and you can start the All-Star game, but Fromber can't. Can't, which is good, I guess, for the Astros. Mm-hmm. It, my biggest issue is really just the the fact that he was at eighty nine pitches and they had no one ready, and that you know this this lead, like you said, as soon as Abreu hit that home run, somebody needs to be like up. someone like what's this guy's name? Kuno, Joel, whatever you hey, are. Whoa, whoa, good first name, yeah. easy. He uh, looks like, like he should be pitching in a forty plus league. Like, oh, he looks like he put yeah slow pitch softball. He looks <laughs> like a too. guy that should be out there for three innings and you should run his arm into the ground when yeah. you have a six run lead. Exactly. 
And he was. I, I forgot the, he was on the roster until I saw him yesterday. I was like, Same, I, dude. Really, when he came in yesterday, I was like, did they activate him or make a move before the game that I missed? When I first started to get ready to say that, my first reaction was, wait, did they call him up on Sunday after right. Saturday, or was he on the team? That was and my they question just too. Use him, but yeah, he just did. He's been up since July eighth when they sent Tom Blanco. Joe, may, Joe, Joe makes a bigger point though, and that is, regardless if it's a six run lead or a three run lead, if that home run doesn't happen. You know he's at 89 pitches, and you now have a lead of more than one run. Mm-hmm. No matter what, in the middle, as you start to take, when he gets off the mound, yeah. in the middle of that inning, you already got a guy that's doing the weight work and stretching the heavy ball and getting ready to throw. You've got one or two guys up because you know he doesn't have much left anyway, and now you've got a cushion. Think this about it. what Dusty does. 89 pitches. But that's on the pitching coaches, too. Yeah, but like, this fair. is what I remember about but Dusty's like, the head people of the say, state. like, what do you remember about Dusty and, like, Pryor Dust- and Wood? This is what yeah. I remember. Like, this is what I remember is that, like, Mark Pryor, Kerry Wood are on the mound. They are pitching really well, and they don't need to be in the game anymore, and yep. no one's ready. So Kerry Wood goes to 130 mm-hmm. because, like, just no one's ready to go, and guys just to take longer to warm up. And that's the other thing, too. Like, I, your, your point's valid, but Dusty's the head of the snake. Sure, like, I get it. Dusty's the head of the snake. The second thing... He's at 89 pitches. Like, let's eliminate the scenario for a second. Let's eliminate that it's a six-run game, although it's very important. Let, let's eliminate that there was a 20-minute half-fitting by the Astros, you know, hitting the way that they did in the top of the seven. Let's eliminate that for a moment. 89 pitches. We all know that the average amount of pitches for a pitcher to get through an inning is 15. Do the math there. 89-104. If Fromber walks a guy, if Fromber gives up a hit or, or two, if he has a couple of bloop singles, now you're in a spot where Fromber's going to have to be pulled out of the game in the middle of the inning. And you entered the inning without anybody warming up. But he, he, again, take the scenario back again to say, you, even if you just had the three-run lead, right, and the eighty-nine pitches, that's yeah. enough for you to say to Somebody yourself, to be up at someone the start of the should inning. already be loose and getting ready to go because this one's in our back pocket if we handle this the right way, and we don't want him going any further. Yeah, and then the whole well, you, Astros Astro fans didn't trust Fromm. No, it has nothing to do with trusting Fromber. We all trust Fromber. Sure. It's about protecting the best pitcher on this staff. 713-780-ESPN, because no Fromber kissed the World Series aspirations goodbye. No Ryan Stanek, oh, well, they didn't use him last year in the playoffs right. anyways. No Phil Maton, oh, well, they didn't use him in the playoffs last year anyways because he broke his hand after giving up a hit to his brother. No Rafael Montero, you get your wish. 713-780-ESPN, everybody wants to respond to this. 713-780-3776, it's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, the best in the business, in my opinion, at doing the Neograph procedure. If you don't know what the Neograph procedure is, you might want to kind of get the 411 on it because if you're a dude and you're getting up there, or maybe you're not, you're just experiencing hair loss at a very early age, and you're thinking, man, this sucks. There's nothing I can do about it. i got to shave my head. Maybe I'll look into some of those sprays and creams and foams that mask the problem. Nope, none of that. You can get your own hair back, and it's as easy as contacting Doc Linville and his staff because if you learn about the Neograph procedure like I did, it is a game changer. Essentially, it's taking hair where you're never going to lose it. Genetically, no matter how much you lose on top or in the front, you're never going to lose it on the sides and the back of your head. Therefore, he takes some of that, puts it where you need it, it grows, it stays with you because, remember, he's taking hair where it's never going to leave you, and you suddenly get more coverage area. You have a better appearance. So, therefore, you have more self-confidence on a daily basis, and you feel better about how you look. 
It's really simple. As a listener to ESPN 97.5, you get a bonus. Most people pay 150 bucks just to meet with Doc Linville and his staff to see if the procedure is right for them. You get it for free. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com. Make an appointment. Ask questions. Get answers. Figure it all out without being on the hook for a single penny. And then figure out if the procedure is right for you. If you do it, you will never regret it. John Granado did it. I did it. We rave about it. And we rave about Doc Linville because the results are unbelievable. The, the one that I will tell you is the, the uh, cheat code. 95 to 99% of those follicles that are moved stay, grow, and are with you for the long haul. That was the one that made it uh, a decision for me worth making. I made the decision. I had the procedure. I could not be happier. Be the next to get it. Check it out today. Go to 975hair.com. ESPN 975.com Tiger Friendly Radio About an hour ago we had an incident where one of the employees stuck their arm through the cage and a tiger tore her arm off I can give you your money back or I can give you a rain check Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. That's a uh, false start, Spence. Term that you we call it a Laramie well. Tunsil. <laughs> we call that a Laramie Tunsil in the city. The MVP, the non-quarterback MVP for the Houston Texans, according to the Athletic. Did hmm. you know that? Did you know that? They uh, they also the Texans today announced the themes for each game. I'm you, so so excited. Do you want the Killer Bees to talk about every theme I don't want to spoil the Texans the, have? 713-780-3776. I, just I don't want to spoil the wheelhouse lead topic. <laughs> well, you just spoiled what I was going to say <laughs> is the wheelhouse lead topic. Thanks for that. But, hey, new radio listeners every 15 minutes. That show certainly knows that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, no, you know me. I'm just Go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> what was really disturbing to me was... Lisa and I were going to bed last night. We normally leave the TV on for a little bit. And she's like, you want sports? I go, no, I don't need any sports or anything like that. I said, go ahead. And so she starts flipping channels, and I'm starting to like just fade, fade off into sleep a little bit. And she puts on, I think, 13. And I thought it was a commercial at first. It was the biggest force-fed feel-good about the Houston Texans. Turns out it's a whole show that instead of looking back in like the highlights of last oh. year, it's like a, almost like a organizational preview starting with the love of D'Amico Ryan. Who hosted it? It was some female voicing it. It wasn't like a was throw, it, throw was to it, packages. Was it, was it almost like, I don't know. You said I, it was on Channel 13? Yeah, it, but it wasn't like on camera and then throwing yeah. the video. I think that's their paid programming. It was like a highlight film, and I was like, this is a Texans infomercial. This has to, You have to turn this off. I think that's their paid programming, honestly, because I, I think that's part of their, you're probably their right. package. Because I think they get like a weekly 30-minute show, maybe weekly. Maybe it's a little bit different in the offseason. I think it's that But then would... they also air their preseason games. Yeah, agreed. So I'm pretty sure that's part of their pet. Their, their it was deal. the not-so-NFL-filmsy video, like, Jam it down your throat. The Texans are better, damn it. And I'm going, oh, this is hard to take. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I know what show you're talking about. I think usually Drew Doherty hosts it, which I love Drew. Drew, Drew does a good job. But it, is, but it is paid programming. Yeah. I mean, I, it I is mean, paid programming. And look, this goes back to my days making those deals where I used to have to, and you guys probably either indirectly or otherwise have heard or know that part of our Rockets deals when we were good was we force-fed all kinds of team-controlled programming just yeah. to give us marketing tools, to, and half the time we didn't use them. Yeah, exactly. I've uh, I've yet to hear I've yet to hear a good excuse of why 
You keep Fromber in that game deep into the seventh inning. There can't be one. I, him starting the inning, I understand. Like you haven't, you didn't have time to get somebody up. I get that. Like, but for more than a hitter that has reached, I, I haven't heard a good reason why Fromber wasn't in the game. I've heard people try to argue it. Oh well, the fan base doesn't trust Fromber. It's not a trust thing. It's protecting Fromber Valdez, and the Astros have done it all year long, trying to protect Fromber Valdez. Honestly, if I'm Fromber, I'm ticked off with the Astros. They didn't pay me my money. They didn't sign me to a contract extension, but they signed Javier, and Fromber's better than. Javier. They didn't meet my demands on what I wanted in my contract extension. They told me they would like me not to pitch for my country in the WBC. I say, cool, that's no problem. They tell me, owner owner Crane, GM Brown, that they don't want me to start the All-Star game, even though it means a lot to me, but I'm going to go out 89 pitches, 20-minute delay, and pitch in a six-run game. What? That does not add up. But it also doesn't add up that you can't have that conversation with your manager. You can't... We talk about communication mm. all the time. Glad you said that. But... At a certain point, if you feel any kind of way, even some sort of way, in the dugout, going, you know how you feel better than anybody, but you also know how long the road is to hoe the rest of the way. To be able to say, hey, Dusty, we got a six-run cushion. I'm running out of juice here. Or, I mean, I don't. You, let's rethink this. And I've seen it happen a million times in sports. I've seen it personally when it comes to the Rockets. And it would be Rudy T or McHale or somebody going to call someone's number. And say, Coach, I, you know, I've got, I, I got a tweak here. We got a ten or fifteen point lead. Let's think about this. And and most times they'd be like, you know what, you're right. Let's let's look down the roster. Let's see what, or let's get our coaches together. Think about what we else we could do. There had to be some communication there, or even your your coaching staff going, mm-hmm. hey, Dusty. This one we might want to rethink because we've seen that happen before. Gio says Frommers and soft and wanted to continue to pitch. Probably true, Gio, uh, Gio, but you protect your best players. Yeah. You protect like the same reason that uh, Jordan Alvarez was trying to play through an oblique injury. Well, if you would have told Dusty, probably wouldn't have been playing. Todd says that Fromber wanted that 14th K. Okay, well, he wanted to pitch in the WBC. I told him no. Wanted to start the All-Star game. I told him no. But, but, but let's, let's, get him get the, let's let him get that 14th strikeout on 89 pitches, 20-minute delay, and a six-run game. What? It does not add up. One of the interesting things, too, and I want your opinion on this, both of you, because I can be a little conspiracy at time. I can read, you know, maybe between the lines and it gets to some outside-the-box thinking. And you brought it up a little bit ago, Joe, about, like, uh, Dusty and stuff. What did Dusty Baker pregame before the All-Star break have to say about Fromber Valdez pitching the All-Star game? He said that it was his decision. Dusty said that I took it out of his hands, that Dusty decided that Fromber wasn't going to pitch in the All-Star game. Which, okay, maybe Dusty's falling on the sword for GM owner. Or the owner, But then Fromber tells us later that it's the owner and the general manager that did not want him to start in that All-Star game. Is there something there? Is Is that fishy that Dusty's like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I took that decision out of his hand? Or is he simply just falling on the sword for Crane and for Dana Brown? I don't know because, like, my my brain says, Frommer says he wants to pitch. Dusty agrees. Dusty runs it to Dana Brown and Crane, and then they kibosh it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't seem like that's the path. It's weird. It's weird to me that Dusty, before the All-Star game, well, I know Frommer wants to start, but I told him no. That Dusty said that. Dusty said that, and then Fromberg comes back from the All-Star game and tells the media, and Chandler Rome is where uh, I saw this, that it was actually the owner and the general manager that didn't want him to pitch. Just kind of weird to me. Just a little weird to me. No, and look, it's definitely something that it's worth discussing and thinking about because of the fact that this is this is the most valuable piece that you have on the pitching staff. This is 
This is not just, you know, taking a chance with a fly-by-night guy that made your roster that this is not Seth Martinez of a year ago, right? This is, yeah, this is your guy and, and this is your ace and you just don't. Any any time, but specifically right now, at, at just slightly over the midpoint of the season, you don't start pushing the pedal down a little extra on your on your ace, right? You save him for the end of the season. We saw what happened with Verlander a year ago when he ran out of juice. This is the time where you you kind of hit the brake a little bit before you really put it down for the for the stretch run. And the fact that they're they don't have the wherewithal to do that. And look, I put some of this on Joe Espada. Joe Espada has been able to get with Dusty in the past. And, and at least rethink some decisions as the game's going on. Someone on that staff, and there's no one better than Joe Espada, should be tapping the toothpick on the on the shoulder and going, hey, let's let's think about this a little bit, okay? Because this is not the time, and he's not the guy that we need to be screwing around with. Second in the AL innings pitched. Just his second start after missing a turn with an ankle injury. The GM and the owner didn't want him to pitch in the All-Star game, but after a 20-minute half inning and a six-run lead, we're going to pitch him. And then the, the other argument that you hear is the, the usage of the bullpen. Sure, but you got, the usage you got, of the you bullpen. got throwaway guys that are supposed to be innings eaters that are sitting there. You mentioned it yourself. Stanek hadn't pitched in eight days. We'll throw him out there. Here's here's the the relievers that you used in that game because let's let's again think about the children. Think about the high leverage relievers and not using these high high leverage relievers. Brian Abreu had to be used in that game. Give up a three run homer on back to back days. Hector Neris was used in that game, pitching back to back days. And then Ryan Presley and his alter ego Ryan Stressley showed up, pitching back to back days. Phil Maton had to be used, pitching back to back days, and then pitched yesterday his third day in a row. Meanwhile, Ryan Stanek had not pitched because of the All-Star break. We were talking about this workload, how how used these relievers are. Ryan Stanek pitched for the first time in eight days. Rafael Montero hadn't pitched since July 9th. Phil Maton threw three pitches the day before. Those guys need to give you nine outs. Corey, that should have been the perfect time for Montero to have some mop-up and maybe get some earlier. confidence. Would you rather see Montero up by six runs in the seventh inning on Saturday or the way he was used yesterday, trying to, trying to protect a one-run deficit? You need him with his big a cushion as you can get just so that he can try and salvage some part of this part of this season and figure some stuff out because you don't want him in any kind of situation where you're losing close to losing tied or in high leverage because right now he ain't it 713-780-ESPN the HRMP listener line 713-780-3776 every Monday at 1 30 it's our mailbag Monday you can ask the killer bees whatever you one seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six mailbag Monday with the bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. The first a minute on Pro Don Coops. They are the best, highest quality basketball goals that you can find. Way better than anything else that you'll find in the big box stores. A tempered glass backboard. That's true. It gives you the authentic, authentic, true, real feel uh, when you're kissing a shot off the glass, when you're laying it off the glass, or even whenever you hit that rim. Which that rim, by the way, a break away rim or on that a little bit later stainless steel hardware rust proof height adjustable again like i said highest quality basketball goals in the market you'll find nothing like it at the big box stores height adjustable so anywhere from five feet to ten feet you can throw it you can lower it down so you can throw down some jams we mentioned that breakaway rim perfect for dunking hanging it'll keep you safe also an extended overhang which keeps that path clear underneath the basket don't have to worry about spraining your your ankle on the basketball stanchion uh their accessories are next level too led light kits for night play it's hot in houston spoiler alert you might not want to play until the evening when it cools off a little bit or when you 
get home from work or your kids get home from school once they go back to school. So get these LED light kits so you can play at night. Backstop nets, don't chase the basketball around, and lots, lots more. You can order everything, including professional installation online. Yeah, the pros will do all the hard work for you. They'll install the goal at the perfect height, perfectly straight. You don't even have to bust out a level. You don't do a thing. Let the pros at ProDunk do all of the work for you. Give them a call right now, 281-351-9822, and visit ProDunk.com. That's ProDunk.com. 97.5 and 92.5. You're hooked up with it. You hooked up with it. You decided to marry it. I told you I wasn't into it. You said it didn't matter. You've got mail. It's Mailbag Monday with the Killer Bees. Something's in the bag. What's in the bag? Oh, what's in the box? Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. What is your question? Our mailbag Monday. Ask the bees whatever. 5798. Like this one. 1296. Blankers, do you have tattoos? No. If no, are you against them? I don't like them. I don't prefer them for myself. I don't ever want one myself. I'm not a fan, and I'm not a big fan on, on them. I don't find them attractive on females, and I'm not a big fan of tattoos in general. One That's of your daughters comes home for Christmas from college. Oh. She has a tattoo. What is the reaction of blankers? <laughs> not happy. <laughs> Starting to, to she, slide Christmas presents back from the tree. Will I she be I, attending Christmas dinner? <laughs> my first tattoo, I came home for Christmas with a tattoo. They didn't like it. Uh, they were shocked. Did you hide it? No, I just told them. You, you're out with you it. told them because they well, couldn't see it because you put it on your butt. It's on my shoulder. Oh, um, same, but like that was the first one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Three. That was the uh, White Sox logo. <laughs> uh, I don't understand that. Or the Notre Dame logo. You have the Notre Dame. Well, I have a the White Sox Clover. are your favorite team. That's our running joke. I would say you'd probably put a Cubs logo somewhere because you do have a Notre Dame tattoo. I don't think I could get like a team tattoo. You have no, a Notre Dame tattoo? No. Not really. And Dab says if you would get a tattoo. I have a four-leaf clover because I'm Irish. Oh, I thought you had the uh, Notre I thought it's oh. kind of the same thing. It's not. Isn't that an alternate logo for them? I mean, it is, but yeah, like that. And you do love Notre Dame, <laughs> But right? that's like, that's not fair. Like, that's, okay. they're not correlated. All right. Dab, if you would get a tattoo, what would it have been, though? For me? Yeah. It would have been of something that, from my mom when she passed away. That's good. Uh, that's very sweet. I would have gotten a, uh, I think for me, it would have been the wedding ring tattoo. Because I don't like wearing my wedding ring. too. I just don't because like I, my wedding I, ring. honestly, I don't wear mine unless we're going someplace out or something like that. Same, because yeah, it's a pain in the ass. If you're at the gym or anything like that, it gets in the way, and I'm afraid of damaging it. And so I tried to do like the the rubber, like uh, they make them like a wedding band. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, and Lisa's like, that's not the same. Don't wear that. That's that's junk. And I go, it's better than wearing nothing. And she goes, no, it's fine. I'm like, okay, well, then yeah. there you go. See, I wear mine whenever I leave the house, but as soon as I enter the house, I take it off. Like It's it's almost like a car key for me. Like Whenever I leave the house, I take my car keys and you I put on my wedding ring. drop your keys as much as you drop your ring? I play with this thing. I like, know. It's, it's Believe almost me, like we a, know. It's like a fidget spinner that's for me because I have ADD. That's kind of why I stopped wearing it because I was playing with I it I spin it all the time. I don't like. I don't mind. Like if I, it's not. I mean, it's not that expensive. Like if I lost it, I would just buy another. Yeah, one. but it, it just, well, obviously there sentimentally. I don't have that much sentiment with it. To me, your, it's symbolic. But your wife does. I don't know. I wonder. Wife seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. You don't want you. You want the one that you I'll actually to, used when you got married. Now. I'll have to ask her about that because to me, a lot of a lot of women, I believe that there's a sentimental value. See, to, to me, it's more symbolic than sentimental. Okay. Like another one would just be equally symbolic. I don't well, know especially if, if you had it engraved matters. on the inside or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't have that. that. Maybe something. some do. For yeah. that, in that case, absolutely. Yeah. In yeah. that case, absolutely. Triple zero two mailbox mailbox Monday. RoboCop, Alien, or Predator? 
I would say none of the above. Yeah, none of the above either. But if either. I Predator, have to pick one, I'll go RoboCop. I like Predator. I'll probably. go Predator as well. I don't think I've seen any of these three movies from start to finish. I've seen Predator and RoboCop. Really? No yeah. chance. No, I've not. I'm surprised by that. None of these are movies that interest me. You know how I feel about movies. Yeah. If it's if it's hard for me to believe that it would happen in our real lives, I it's hard for me to buy in. I think I Predator and Alien are very realistic. Okay. I think aliens I, are I real. have seen aliens all three, but Alien to me was just like yeah. Aliens are real. <laughs> what's oh, that? Here we what's go. that? What, you've been you've been over there at the cardiac arrest too long. You've been listening to you said you ran the board to that one show that yeah. one time where you they talk about aliens you late don't think at night. Aliens are real. What's that show called again? Uh, I don't remember. No, I do believe aliens are real, but I don't realistically believe I'll ever see one. So it's hard for me to buy into a movie where they're taking over the earth. What about UFOs? Well, yeah, I, I think, think you'll see one. They've they've happened. Yeah, you could see one. Yeah, in your lifetime. I'm just asking. In the same scenario, do you believe you, you'll see a UFO you'll see, in your lifetime? You'll see a. Ship. I have like videos and stuff. You don't think you'll see like. The actual alien. I don't think I don't think aliens are ever going to come over and take over the world. I think that they exist in like a weird way. Yeah, I think they're, they're I think they're in Nevada. They I think to. they're in area I think they're in Area Fifty One. I think they I think they do exist. Uh, e. Willie or George Strait? Ooh, this one's tough for me. It is tough, George. My wife and I will argue George Strait and um, Garth Brooks because Garth Brooks is from Oklahoma. She's from Oklahoma. Uh, George Strait from Texas. I'm from Texas. So this is usually an argument between George Strait. And uh, that other guy. Um, I love George Strait. I think he's the king. I love Willie Whalen and the boys. But give me George Strait. Sorry. I'm going to go Willie simply because of the fact that my dad had loved Willie Nelson and played a lot of his music in the house when we were growing up and stuff like that. So from a sentimental perspective, too, everything from George on my mind and some of the other songs that he made, but just, you know, on the road again and and. All of the albums. I mean, I'll yeah, go he's great. They're, they're both great. I, mean, they're yeah, both you, I don't famous. think there's a wrong answer, no. but for me, the sentimental part that of my sense. dad listening. I mean, to him, look, I grew did, up on George. We didn't give George Strait one of the songs for one of the Astros pitchers. It's true. We it's gave true. one to Willie. Yeah. Well, we need to do something about well, that. And then, until someone thought that Johnny Cash was on that one. Johnny Cash did sing the song. I had a brain fart. I just had, a, but I I suggested that song for JP Franz. I think the first time we played fart. it, we played the the combo one. Mm-hmm. And then I forgot we did that, so I've just been playing straight Willie Nelson. But, I mean, I, I flat out said we should play Willie on the road again to Joe for J.P. France. I just had a moment. Uh, 4187 says that Branham is the best. Not a question, just a comment, but we're always open to those. Um, somebody says BMW drivers are the worst drivers in the streets. Do you all agree? I don't. I can't pinpoint it on a, on a make or of a car or someone that drives a certain car. Cause yeah. In Prius. Houston, there's just a lot of bad drivers. How about Tesla's? Oh, big time. <laughs> I don't big know if I can time. pin it on one driver. Tesla's absolutely big time. There's <laughs> because the thing is, is that they're so new that there's so few of them. They don't stand out as much. Like there's just not as many on the road, but there's like an arrogance of the people that have. Them. I think I just dislike the people who own the Tesla more. I wouldn't mind having a Tesla. I wouldn't so mind driving around. Uh, the last purchase I had, I wouldn't mind that. I don't want that. I wouldn't got, trust it to, but I, I wouldn't can't. hate it. No, 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 no. no. And you know what? And one of my one of my best friends and another one of our friends, he has a Tesla, and he took him and he put it on whatever they call that, you know, non driver control or whatever. And my my best friend was in the passenger seat, freaking out. Like I, I, I Lisa and I have had this conversation conversation multiple times. I could no matter what car I drive, I could never let it drive for me. For fear of the fact that, I mean, it's like when you're trying to teach your kid to drive, like my dad used to do, and he'd have to pretend there was a uh, brake pedal on the passenger side, and he'd keep hitting it. Like, I just, I don't know that I can trust that you can 
adjust as a computer or whatever your sensors are for a guy running a red light yeah. or some of the other things I that you could adjust either. to. That's, I'm not. That to me I don't like thing. lane control. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that. I think either. it's bad. It's not that I don't. I trust the car. I think to do it, I just don't trust the people around me Fair. that the car would react in the way that I need it to. But also, like, if you're in it, like, obviously you're an idiot if, like, it's a hurricane and you're letting Tesla drive you around. But if you do that, and, like, it might be too late if that water's too deep. Yeah. And you're just well, like, what I, On the way screwed. to work today, that's why it kind of lit a fire when Jeremy said it. I'm driving here. There's a Tesla in front of me. He's obviously on driverless driving. And all of a sudden, he forgets that he's got to get off on the, in the next exit. And all of a sudden, the signal goes on. And I am i know he's like, and I'm already in the right lane. And he just goes diagonal right in front of me. And I'm going, see, there's just too many things that could go wrong with those cars. Mm-hmm. But the arrogance of the good people that drive them, yeah, that, that's a did, did we get an addition to the bird count? Oh, no, no, okay. no, I almost gave one, but I did not get now, one. Now, just to clarify that, because I'm still newish to the show. You got to get a bird. Do, do we... We don't include the giving the bird count. No, just no, getting no, the no, bird. No, 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 no. Only when you get them. Just making sure. Yeah, yeah. Just kidding. Not Brad Kellner. Another great take by Branham. Which uh, one? Appreciate it. I don't know. <laughs> There's so many. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Out to the HRP listener line. Payne, what's your question for the Killer Bees on our Mailbag Monday? Hey, good afternoon, guys. So my question for y'all is: what what do y'all prefer, corn tortillas or flour tortillas? And breakfast um, breakfast tacos or lunch tacos? Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, it's goodness. easy for me. Flour and lunch. This is... Breakfast and uh, breakfast are good, but uh, lunch or dinner talk, uh, uh, th- off the chart. I, I love bacoa, though, so much. I like corn and lunch, uh-huh. but for breakfast tacos, it's always flour. No, 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 no. You're doing it right. You're doing it wrong. Corn and flour has to do with what you're eating. Like if you're eating bat bacoa, you need corn to, you need corn tortillas. If you're eating seafood, you need corn tortillas. If you're eating like chicken. Chicken fajitas, beef fajitas, that's better on flour. Yes, it if is. you're eating like a breakfast taco with like eggs, you know, bacon, cheese, or chorizo, Bigger you're and doing that on flour. Con- so like everything. corn flour depends on what you're eating. It, it totally depends on what you're eating. I prefer I don't know, man, that's a tough one for me. Probably flour. Lunch or breakfast is so hard. I'll tell you what I because do. Because I do. love bat on. I love We have the, the, the flat iron pan for tortillas. Yeah. Tortilla pan. And so what I like to do is, whether breakfast or the lunch ones, once I get it all wrapped up and everything like that, I'll put it back on there to give it a little extra crispness on the outside. And and that's why I do the flour, because the flour, it's easier to do. It with. Yeah. But it, it, like, seafood with flour probably shouldn't be doing that. It's pro- it, but I'm not, I'm goes not going corn. to seafood. I mean, if I'm going, I'm going to the, the grilled chicken. If you're going fajitas, it's on flour. I do yeah, love. If you're like, going fajitas, it's I on love flour. fish tacos. Then you need to be on corn. Yep. You need to be on corn. What I'll do too, though, you know how they'll give you the two corn tortillas? I'll just, I'll just eat the one. More meat tortilla ratio. Never hurt nobody. All right, that does it for Mailbag Monday. Aren't you more susceptible to an error, like a hole or something that blows well, in the that's, middle? Well, that's the beauty of leaving yourself the second tortilla. Is now you have shrap, you have a shrapnel tortilla for all. I mean, you basically turns it into two tacos. It's a veteran move there. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. You have any other questions for the Killer Bees? You can just tweet them at Pacman Joel. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a titan. Are they a threat now? And the Texans are clearly the worst receiving core in the AFC South, right? Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.
ESPN 97.5 and 92.5, right where you belong. That song belongs to me! Most bees make honey. These killer bees make great sports insights. But they also make honey. Don't ask about the process. From the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's Joel and Jeremy. Do you see the news? DeAndre Hopkins is headed to Tennessee following in uh, the footsteps of Andre Johnson. Off to Tennessee, maybe to end their career. Uh, what do you and make of Zach this Cunningham, move? right? Zach Cunningham, yeah. I was thinking receivers, but yeah. Yeah, I'm saying there's been a couple oh, of there's Texans been a ton that, of yeah, that end Texans. up going right to Tennessee. Oh, I mean, do you want to have this conversation uh, with all the Titans? J- Jadavian Clowney, too, right? Jadavian Clowney. How about their head coach, Mike Vrabel? How about yep. their offensive coordinator, Tim, Tim Kelly? Kelly. Yep. Uh, there's been tons of former Texans that have followed Vrabel over to Tennessee for whatever reason. It's weird. Like, they've had a pipeline. I think, I think, um, I think we counted it up once, and it was close to two dozen. What was the... Before that was, how about the how about Fat Randy? Oh, Brady Bullock. Yeah, yeah. What about the the, the Oilers? Uh, big, good looking guy that was a that was always modeling Andrew in the Carlson? off season. That was the safety or a D back, and then he went from the the, the Oilers? Oilers to the to the Titans. Blaine Blaine Bishop Blaine Bishop. I didn't realize he modeled. Yeah, oh, in the off season, he did a lot of modeling here. Really? In town. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, that's interesting. But uh, DeAndre Hopkins headed to Tennessee. What, what does this do for Tennessee? What does it do for DeAndre Hopkins? Well, I mean, I think anything that Tennessee does, look, drafting a, a rookie receiver in the first round a year ago, you get a guy that's a veteran in the room that you can learn from. That's great. I don't know what he's got left in the tank. I, I mean, I'm interested to see because I don't think they had a whole lot at receiver that – I mean, who's throwing him the football too? Makes a whole. Uh, I think Tannehill. I think this move actually is they're still going for it. Yeah, I think this move signals to everybody that they're they're not they're not benching Ryan Tannehill. This might be the final year of this, Ryan Tannehill. Right. Whenever they're out of the race, they might go to either Will Levis or Malik Willis. But this signals that Tennessee is going to try to win until they're out of it. I think this was also the fact that from an organizational standpoint, they're saying this is one final year. This is one final chance with all pieces in place, and then all bets are off. I think Derrick Henry's somewhere else in a year. Tannehill's somewhere else in a year. I think, you know, Vrabel, depending on how much, you know, he's happy there. I don't think it would be by him being fired, but I think that Vrabel would have options if he didn't want to go through a rebuild. But I think this is it. They're going for it for one more year to try and make a run, and I don't know how sustainable that belief is because of how good the AFC is. But I agree with you that bringing him in is solidifying the fact that they are not doing anything but going for it this year. Because otherwise, I'm like, why would you make this move if Malik Willis is trying to get you the ball? Or Levis. Either one. I think I think Levis can be higher than Willis on the depth chart. Vrabel always overachieves, though. Vrabel he's always the gets the coach. most. They, he's been to Tennessee. This will be his sixth year. He's had a losing record once. He's never he's well actually finished third place his first year but they were 9 and 7. He's went 9 and 7, 9 and 7, 11 and 5, 12 and 5, 7 and 10. He's been in the playoffs 3 of those 5 years. Tennessee always I think exceeds expectations with Vrabel. I think that I think the Titans are going to be around a 500 team. Oh, I do I'm too. not going to put them like in the playoffs and and, and the AFC's tough. But I could see them win with, 7 or 8 eight with games. With Tannehill in this division, I think they have a chance to at least you know 9 and 7. And how, I don't think this division, nine wins, I haven't seen, I uh, haven't looked at the rest of their schedule. 
I think they're but, gonna. I think that's their. I think that's their range. I think their range is the seven to like nine wins. Two games is pretty similar to the Texans, right? With who they're playing, exactly. So I would believe that with Tannehill, and obviously you got to you need a healthy Derrick Henry. That's the wild card. Got to keep him healthy. But if you got a healthy Henry and you've got Tannehill, D Hop, and that defense. You're going to be in some ball games. They're going to win a bunch of like 20 to 17 sure games. They are. Like ugly 17, 16, 17, 14 type games. I think that they ha- I think they're going to flirt with a 500 record. Now what what does this mean for D-Hop? Will he be the latest great receiver to end his career miserably in Tennessee? Yeah. Moss, Andre, Julio. Yeah, I don't I don't see him like getting to like all-pro form or pro bowl form. I don't see him having a resurrection of his career like I think that but he doesn't need to. He got a two-year, $26 million deal. Went to the so, money, right? Yeah, so he got the cash, so he doesn't have to have, you know, uh, uh, an earn-it year where he's got to do exceptional things. He got paid, so he doesn't have to do that. I believe that probably the reason why he's not a Patriot is they probably weren't willing to do what Tennessee did, and so it kind of took it out of his hands to say, if I want the cash and the, the security, I'm going to go to Tennessee, and he did, and so... Uh, he doesn't have to, you know, play out of his mind, but I don't expect him to be able to. I think there's a lot of people that you've heard from around the NFL that have said he just doesn't seem that he can get in and out of his his cuts anymore. He can't run the routes the same way. He can't create separation the way he once did. So he made sure that he got money for the last two years of his career, regardless. Yeah, he went. He he cashed in. He, he this whole well favorite spot. I, I do think that that Buffalo probably never offered a contract. Probably Buffalo, right. I, there was reports that Buffalo said that they weren't. If only a hometown discount, like only he takes below market value, would we entertain Buffalo? I said Kansas City, and I don't think they ever made a push. I don't think so either. I just it, it just doesn't feel like a scheme fit with DeAndre, just because they like speed, they love quickness, and and DeAndre's not that. His game is he's going to be physical. He's got great hands, but speed and athleticism and possession quickness. receiver at this point. Yeah, he's a possession receiver. I, I I think he has more left in the tank than those three examples we use, like Moss, Andre, whenever he got there, Julio, whenever he got there. I still think Hobbs. Hopkins has a little bit left in the tank, but I'm with you. I don't expect him to be an all-pro receiver. I do think he makes the Titans better, though. Oh, there's no doubt He's about it. Best because receiver. I think that their receiver room was less than. Uh, Traylon Burks. He, yeah, That's Traylon it. Burks was a guy that came in that everybody was high on thinking that he could be somebody. Very very disappointing in year one. That's what I'm saying. If he kind of gets under the wing of DeAndre Hopkins and they can help try and make each other better during this season... I think now they have the ability, at least they have two guys that they know are going to be their starting two receivers that are better than what they had, so it's an upgrade. But how much of an upgrade? You know, what does he have left in the tank, and how much can he help, you know, Burks become the player that they expected him to be when they traded A.J. Brown and used the pick? So it's interesting. They improved the room, but I don't know if they improved the team all that much. I think it makes them better. I don't know if it makes them, like, a full win better. Like, to me... I think it's all kind of remains to be seen. Sure, it always remains to be seen. Well, I, I get it, but I'm saying, you know, normally if you add like a former guy like with the resume of, of DeAndre Hopkins, you would think, well, my team's definitely better. I mean, I've got a guy that I can count on now and, a, you know, and a key driver, whatever I can go to. I don't know what he's got left anymore. I don't know if you can still do that. Sure, he was in a tough situation with Kyler Murray, who really seemed to get under his his skin a little bit too and the fact that it was frustrating and he had to save his bacon a lot more than getting targeted with good passes but I don't know if he's getting in a much better situation right now and he's he's older yeah I think it I think it ups their range one like pre DeAndre Hopkins I think their range was like six to eight wins and now with DeAndre Hopkins I think their range is seven to nine wins I, I think he ups the range of win I, it doesn't guarantee them one more win but it gives them like a one win higher ceiling and I, I really don't take them like seriously as a playoff 
Playoffs, maybe. But like a championship contender in the no, AFC? No, Absolutely no, no. not. Would it stun me if they win this division with a 9-7 and seven record? Or a 9-8 and eight record? It wouldn't stun me completely. I think it comes down to, to the Titans and the Jags, no matter what. And if the Jags are less than or they have some bumps the in the road. kind of underrated, too. Honestly. I don't. Because, again, we go back to rookie quarterbacks. I just think if they're going to start Richardson, I don't think that they have – they're not going to have the season to be where you, know, you might think they can be. Right. Maybe in a year or two, and it all depends on him. It's weird, though, because he's not like – he's a rookie quarterback, but he's not a rookie quarterback that you think needs to throw the ball 25 times a game. I mean, if you structure the offense correctly around him and he uses, utilizes his athleticism and, and his speed I mean, and his running. Steichen from Philly. Yeah, and you've got one of the best running backs in the, in the league. Sure, you can play ball control and you can do some things. I just, I just think that's a year from now or two years from now, whereas I think that Tennessee, with all the veterans that they have and the guys that have been capable of doing it, they're capable for this one last year of competing with Jack- Jacksonville to be a playoff team. My, if I were power ranking it, and we're looking at it from odds to win the division, I would go Jacksonville, Tennessee, Indy, Houston. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're, I think we're on the same page. Like, I don't expect Indy to win the division, but I think that they're more likely to win the division uh, than the Texans. Uh, Texans clearly have the worst receiving core in the division, right? Yeah. Like, I think that they might have already had the worst receiving core in the division. Tennessee would have been the one that you were arguing about it with. You're not talking about Jacksonville with Ridley and Kirk. You're not talking about the Colts with Pittman. Tennessee before DeAndre Hopkins, I think there's a conversation there. Tennessee after DeAndre Hopkins, it's a no decision, right? No argument? No argument. No argument. Might have the worst receiving core in the league. 713-780-ESPN if you want to argue. 713-780-3776. Texans training camp starts next week. What's the biggest storyline that we're not talking about? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. You do like me. I just don't like you no more. You do like me. I don't.